This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Thanks for being with us this morning. Well, some new research is taking a look at concussions and how the damage could differ depending on the gender of the person who has the concussion. A University of Victoria neuroscientist Brian Christie led this research and he joins us on the line now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us to talk a bit more about this. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. Uh, talk a little bit, to, first of all, how you went about studying and taking a look at concussions and uh, looking at them based on gender. Well, um, I, I guess it actually all starts, you know, at a personal level. I have uh, um, both boys and girls in my family, and uh, they all play uh, contact sports. And, you know, you, you can't help but see, um, you know, some of the injuries that happen to you know people on their teams. They, they play hockey, rugby, lacrosse, you know, some, some fairly uh, rough sports. Um, and I began to wonder about the, uh, you know, incidence uh, of concussions between the two genders and also um, the difference in uh, their recoveries. And there was a little bit of data um, suggesting that there were these sex differences, um, but there really isn't anything solid out there. So we started looking at how do you study this? Um, we, we have a clinical population we can work with and we, and we work with teams. But when you try and find out what's going on in the brain at a molecular level, there was just very little out there. Um, so we um, went about developing a model. And, and I'm, you know, just blessed to have, um, you know, an amazing set of graduate students that have come to Victoria internationally um, to, to focus on the problem. And how did you get the information as well? Because I was reading about this, and that seems to be one of the challenges, is how to actually study concussions and the aftermath and what the actual damage is. Yeah, and so, you know... Most people are a little bit reticent to uh, to donate parts of their brains while they're alive. So, so that's a huge challenge. And in the end, you need to um, end up going to basic science models. Um, and these can be um, animal models or cellular models. And and looking at, um, you know, sex differences. Um, one of the challenges in the in literature right now is the majority of studies are done with only male animals. And they use um, uh, craniotomy procedures, which allow them to actually directly poke the brain. And, and that's not what happens in a concussion. So it, it really is a, a you know a, a good model for penetrating head wound injuries, um, but not for the concussions, which is you know probably one of the major concerns for for a lot of parents these days. And did you find so you found the differences between so what were the main differences between uh, male and female when we're talking about uh, concussions? Yeah. So so I mean, really surprisingly, at, at a cellular level. If you look at how cells respond after a concussion, um, in males, the, the cellular response was more acute, so it, it happened almost immediately after a concussion, and then recovered fairly quickly. Um, the response in females um, was a, a little more moderate, in, so it wasn't as severe initially, but it persisted for a lot longer. And, and this sort of mimics what um, people have been showing in the clinical population. And, and there's a lot of, you know, theories that have arisen, including you know, one that's called the, the bobblehead hypothesis, which is that um, women tend to have uh, weaker neck strength than males. And so the um, increased velocity of their head movement whenever they're struck accounts for the difference. It's, it's a <clears throat> matter of physics. So what our research is showing is that it's at a cellular level, you know, and, and what we need to tease out next is, you know, whether there's a, you know, a hormonal role or if it's just that um, uh, some of the cellular metabolism is actually processed differently in, in the female brain than in the males.
And did that point then to long-term effects in that does it, it takes women longer or it, or it almost seems like what you're saying is it's a bit of a delayed reaction, but in the end, do they both heal completely or is it different in that sense too? Um, you know, right now, yeah, everyone looks like they, they have the capacity to heal. Um, I, I think one of the other, you know, real benefits in the model that we've developed is that you can look at repeated concussions. And, you know, in Ontario, we, we have Rowan's Law, which is, um, you know, preventing individuals from getting back into play too early to prevent a, a syndrome called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And, and this is where you can get severe swelling of the brain if you have uh, too many impacts in too short a time. And it, it's very rare. Um, but it can happen. And so, um, so the law is basically a blanket to protect everyone in case there is, you know, the, the few, right? Kind of like peanut allergies on planes. Um, a concern with the law has been that it may have uh, parents not bringing their child in uh, for concussion testing for fear that it will keep them out of sports. And, uh, and so, so really what we want to have is a, a biomarker a test of some sort um, that allows us to go, okay, th- this individual is, um, you know, still suffering the effects of a concussion and shouldn't be into play. And, and this other individual who got their concussion at the same time is fine and can return to play. If we have that individualized, um, uh, you know, assessment method, then we're going to be a lot better off in the long term. Which which makes sense. But it's also, doesn't it also seem a bit strange that somebody would be reluctant to get the testing done for fear of being put out of a sport? But but the idea of doing that is for someone's own safety. Yeah, and... You know, it, it's been interesting since I got involved in this, uh, um, you know, I guess um, about seven years ago now. Um, I, I've met numerous individuals whose uh, children are going to be in the NHL or NFL or something like that by the time they're 10 because they're such phenomenal athletes at eight. And, and this is the population I'm, you know, worried about. You have um, parents who are, are, you know, live a little bit vicariously through their, um, you know, children's abilities. Um, kids who are like, they just want to play because this is where their friends are, where their fun is. They want to be there, and, and they're not, you know, thinking first, oh, I may have an injury that, that could be life-threatening if I, uh, you know, continue to play. Um, so, so that's where it sort of comes to, and, and you know, the social, um, you know, dynamics of team sports are, are such, you know, you'll have the other teammates, you know, why aren't they playing? Um, the parents may just, you know, really want their kids in sports because that is their social environment, and they want to be there. All these things come into play, and, and, um, and so parents aren't always... Was worried, and plus, this is an invisible injury. You know, there's no break, there's no scratch, there's no blood. If you do an MRI or a CT, you don't see the injury inside the the brain. That, that's the the hallmark of a concussion is it's an invisible injury, and a lot of times individuals feel okay, but still are suffering the effects of a concussion if you um, give them a little bit more rigorous testing. Uh, where does the research go from here? Well, now we're um, starting to look at how um, the neurons communicate with one another. And, th- and this is a, a big thing for learning and memory. Um, our, we believe our memories are formed um, by the way that neurons for what, what we call form what we call cellular assemblies in the brain. Um, if that um, capacity is limited or disrupted, then we have problems forming new memories and even accessing old memories. Um, and that has a, a, a big place in the return to learn component of concussions. It's not only returning to sports, it's how are we going to integrate the kids back into school because sometimes you just aren't going to be able to learn information correctly because your brain isn't functioning properly. And that's a much more subtle thing to pick up. You know, it's if, you're, if your child is doing 20% worse and you're not really aware of it, 
you know, it just looks like they're they're just not as bright anymore, and they and they come back. But it does recover if handled correctly, right? So, teachers and parents and even the students themselves need to be aware of the sort of the return to learn components. Right. What we want to do is is you know find out. Um, I mean, we've got some dietary um, studies going on to look at if increasing a fatty acid component of the diet may help, um, even a ketogenic diet. Um, and, and so there, there's a, a, um, lots of ways that we can, um, you know, look at whether we can help buttress um, uh, any, you know, you know um, physio- physiological therapies that we're doing. That, that would be balance training, et cetera. Um, when the, the child is going through the return to learn phase and help increase the rate of their recovery. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, we're out of time, but thank you so much. It's very interesting research. I look forward to hearing more about it. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.